Buddy, this is Dominic D'Angelo. I'm of several outlets. I don't won't run them down like I did last week, but I am here on Premier Streaming Network. But if you're listening on podcasts, I'm on whatever podcast feed you choose to listen on. But I am here. It is episode two. Episode two of one of a kind with none other than Mr. RVD, Rob Van Dam. Rob, episode two. Thanks for joining me, man. Right on, dude. Woohoo, we made it. <laughs> we made it. So we're over, I think, a week away from when we last recorded. How how do you kind of feel about everything just, like, kind of coming off it? I know we haven't – we actually, if you guys are listening to this now, like, well, you wouldn't be. But we have not, put a, like, debuted yet. So – Yeah, so, so I went, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I was looking forward to doing this again because it was, you know, it was um, easy, fun doing it last week. And, um, and I figured it's something that – the more we do, we can build on it, tweak it, personalize it, um, see exactly what it is, and then get the fans, uh, hopefully, feedback on, you know, on uh, their thoughts as well. But I haven't had a chance to see it. So, like, you know, I was just asking you, I hope my audio sounds good. And I was asking because that's that's something that um, the fans sometimes will, will have a list of critiques, and some of them – probably are really important and then you know and then some of them you know if they're like well you need more purple in the background then, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. I, you know that's a hard sell for me that that's keeping us holding us back so right right <laughs> we can only do so much here all right it's, it's like we can't please everybody <laughs> yeah looking but, forward to it though yeah yep, absolutely so what yeah what's been new with you it's over the course of this past week anything happened in the world of rvd what's what's cracking um, no, I don't, I don't think I, I, no, I haven't gone on a, on a trip. I'm in town, uh, for a minute, but things keep, keep coming in. You know, I, I think I might've mentioned last week, April was just so busy. Yeah. Um, I was all over the place and, and you knew, cause I told you in Pittsburgh, cause you saw me on the run. Yep. <laughs> I sure did. Um, so, so with May, I'm, um, looking forward to, uh, being home more but but that never really happens though you know and so like stuff always just comes my way um i don't know if i mentioned this before i probably did but all i do is is sort through offers and options that that come my way that's all i've done like forever you know and and like i can tell a lot of times if it's worth responding to or not or sometimes it is worth responding to and i just am not organized enough to do it you know so a lot of stuff slips through um i guess my fingers but i don't really care or else i'd squeeze it more you know what i mean it's like it's like if i wanted to work more i would i actually want to work less that's a great negotiating position to be in but anyway having spit all that out so here i am in may and uh filling up my calendar again um i think the next fan convention that i'm doing is in baltimore on may 21st um and then um i had uh i had something else i had to cancel because i got a few uh dates 
I'll have to put on my calendar. I feel like we talked about this last week. I don't know, but I feel like did we talk about that about how comparing stand up comedy and acting no. to wrestling? Where I was like, go, well, anyway, you know, like an actor at heart, you know, they're going to learn their parts, you know, the very first day they get the script and know everything and be prepared. And I'm so opposite. And, uh, you know, eventually, after being studying life for so long, instead of just being my own critic and beating myself up for over it, I decided, well, let's list my priorities. You know, mm-hmm. if it was as important as wrestling, you know, was that, you know, I, w- I would have done anything to be a pro wrestler. And like with comedy, um, uh, last time I did a comedy set at a, at a at a bar, it was like I just wanted to jump up there when uh, I wasn't advertised or whatever. And I was just like, hey, who's who's got a show tonight? I want to I want to go up and uh, hit this material that's in my head. And anyway, afterwards, I was like, I don't want to do bars anymore. You know, it was like there was like there was like 10 people there and half of them were speaking to each other in their own conversations. And then afterwards, uh, one of the local guys comes over to me and he's trying to give me tips. And it's like, dude, you you want this enough to want to master a bar crowd of 10. I, I don't, you know, yes. for me, that's what I was thinking, you know, and it made, but it, it made me realize that more inside and set my own standards. Like for me, that it's about my delivery and, uh, and it's not, you know, but with wrestling, yeah, I wanted to be able to master a crowd of 10 when I started out or whatever. So, so I, I look at it that way. And anyway, um, I got to learn this part uh, for this, uh, <laughs> be as prepared as I can. And, uh, and we start next week. So we'll try and do, uh, we'll try and record this uh, earlier. earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's cool that you kind of say that too, because I have a buddy um, in like Pittsburgh. It's not a bit huge comedy scene or nothing like that. We, they had like loose open mics, you know, and like what you were saying, it's like crowd of 10 people are talking, there's food involved. Uh, half the people really kind of don't give a shit. They're either there to play, they play music or they do comedy. So it's like yeah, a yeah. crapshoot of people. And you're just like, Oh my yeah. God. And like, will they get the humor? Do they even care? And it's right. just like, you have to find that balance of like, all right, I'm probably not going to get a reaction. I really want. And on top of that, it's like, am I going to do well at what I, in the execution of how it is all. And am I going to get the honest response that I'm kind of looking for? It's all that kind of shit coming into play where it's like, man, it's, do you think with a bigger crowd, say anything like that, a good venue, comedy-wise and everything like that, would you be, like, apt to just go up there and do a little bit of stand-up and anything like that? Would that kind of motivate you a little bit more? Say if you had a good venue, like what yeah. for comedy and stuff. Comedy like club or theater. Yeah, something like that that's pretty well-packed and, and you could do a set that's, like, you know, say, like, 20 minutes or something that you're on an act, you're on stage with, you know, somebody else is either following you or you're following them or something like that. Is that something you think you could be kind of do more so or feel more? Oh, no, no. I do that sometimes. I mean, oh, yeah. No, I I enjoy doing that. It's not it's not something that I'm trying to do anything with. And that's a lot of basic thinkers um, have a hard time with that. So so when they think about it, they're just like, you know, so how's you know, how's the comedy working for you? You know, stick with it, you know, and I think you'll go whatever. For, For me, it's just, you know, like I get uh, once in a while I get an urge to do it, and I also get booking offers uh, to that for that. But it's like you know, my time is worth so much more now than it ever has been, and it's always been increasingly so. It, it seems you know, so right. like you're, yeah. I mean, so it's like with the busier I get, um, it's like I, I, you know, that that has to equate it equates to 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 money, and it's like you know to do. I, I've done a few stand-up uh, tours, and it was because uh, Tom Garland 
uh, who managed him, he would put several shows together, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever shows. And then uh, if I'm making uh, so much a night, it can add up, you know, by the end of the tour, made it worth my while. But but even those, you know, I'm I, I'm beyond that now. You know, they, that was that was like going back to um, indie times, being on the road, traveling <laughs> from town to town and stuff. But but I was used to it because it was fun. But yeah, here in 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 um, Las Vegas, there's the uh, L.A. Comedy Club, which I actually have their shirt on right now. Actually, oh, shit. yeah, synchronicity. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I go there every once in a while. You know, I just text the dude and say, hey, you know, you gotta. 20 years, you know, whatever, how many minutes you're this week sometime. And I'll say, how about Sunday at eight o'clock? Boom. I'll be there. And, and that's cool because when I do that, it's a, it's a real comedy crowd, you know, they're there to laugh. Yeah. And, and they're not a wrestling fan crowd, but most of them know RVD anyway. But, but if it is where I'm headlining, then it's a bunch of wrestling fans and a lot of them, you know, won't the comedy won't translate because they want to hear stories of wrestling maybe and other wrestlers do that you know i understand like mick foley and jake roberts piper i've seen him do it at the um comedy club in la where they go up there and tell wrestling stories and since that's not what i do some of it won't translate as all but if i'm in a position like you're talking about where where there isn't a lot of people there um and and I and I'm going out there anyway, you know. I talk about being committed on my RVDology. When I'm committed, I'll go out there. And like you were you were just saying, you know, that you you might wonder, am I gonna am I gonna do good tonight? Am I gonna get the reaction? Those are two different things. At mm-hmm. least that's what my ego would tell me. So I'll be my own judge. So I'll say, regardless of these people, I want to go out there and and do this for me, test myself, see how good I do. 45 minutes, see how much I remember, see what I could improve on or whatever and go out there and just do it. And I know that they could have, sometimes it feels like they could have been looking at a wall, but, um, but that, that's part of like in my movie headstrong, you know, that was like part of that, you know, mostly now my standards are higher. So now I just like to go in uh, at at comedy clubs, but there's never tell no telling when something will come along. You know, somebody tried to book me and Mick Foley in florida for june uh going back to back but but the guy was a little shady so that didn't work out but um but 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 you never know and of course the wrestling fans are there to support you no matter what right 100 by the way just like with everything else you can uh you can look at my playlist of my stand-up comedy on my youtube page and um it's all right there so because a lot of people be like man i want to see your set it's not a set I, i go up and i change it you know every every time uh um now and i've been doing that for maybe the last couple of years but anyway it's all right there for you there's no denying me that's right rvdpod.com you go to that it'll hit you the youtube channel and you can check out rvd stand-up stuff and all that and he's got a whole lot of stuff different things on there um yeah it's neat that you mentioned movies too uh because i happened to watch casino for the very first time Ooh. and holy shit like uh i was always kind of like apprehensive because like oh three hours that's a lot a lot of time to put into but i that's with commercials right you watch the commercial version no no that's no commercials is it three hours my favorite movie i never knew that wow it is three hours and so uh it was great (laughs) i loved like 
you know, going into it, I'm like curious. I saw James Wood's name on there. I was like, oh, he's got to be like a casino suit or something like that. Not that whatsoever. Completely, <laughs> right. completely the polar opposite of what you were thinking James would play in that. But yeah. um, I loved it. There's so many, like, who, what were some standout moments in that movie for you that made you like it so much? Oh, my God. Well, okay, so for anyone that maybe hasn't seen it, you know, Scorsese is known for doing classic mobster movies. Um the trilogy, I'll call it, because there's Goodfellas and then yep. there's this casino. They're very much alike, same actors. And then um, also The Irishman, um, which was a movie taken off of, of the book by uh, Charles Brett. Great, great rendition of the book. And again, the same same actors, very long movie. Um, yes. And all of that, all of that, you know, was based on nonfiction books. So um, I've always said Casino, and I'm glad you took my recommendation and watched it. I've always said that that is like the West Coast version of Goodfellas. That's how I see it. And I've always been a mark for the West Coast. So that's probably, and and of course, Vegas, you know, like yeah. I, I, I'm a history buff, you know, as I've told you, and you're going to test me here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we got a new segment uh, coming up. You know, it used to be it used to be Hollywood history. I was doing this movie Wrong Side of Town in 2009. We had a studio uh, at the Sunset Gower Studios and, and walking around the studio, seeing where they filmed everything. You know, that really uh, lit something up inside of me. You know what I mean? I was like, whoa, they filmed Married with Children here, you know, and they filmed the Three Stooges right next door like years ago and this and that. And across, Diagonal was like the first um, Hollywood um theater you know that they anyway everything i got into hollywood history and then and, and a big part of that was uh mobster history so you know bugsy siegel um was there in uh, hollywood in the in the 30s and then he went over to uh, las vegas in the early 40s and so so did my interest and so um it became uh ma the the whole mafia genre became my my go-to hobby um, that, that fascinates me because everything about nonfiction is really connected, you know, and, and that's what's so fascinating about it. E even though you get, I read, I, I read pretty much everything. So I read opposite versions and I can't say that I know this is what happened because someone else said, no, I was there. That's not what happened. But, but I know the stories anyway, and they're fascinating. And, um, and it's a huge part of uh, Las Vegas, you know, like they, they built this, uh, they built this city of, all the casinos on the strip and everything. And that's a lot of that is what the movie casino covers is uh, I mean, that starts, that starts uh, the, um, the Tangiers is actually uh, algamation. Is that the right word? Amalgation. Amalgation. Yeah. Something to that effect. I know you're on the, you're on the right track. <laughs> of um, the Riviera, which was opened in 55, I believe. And the Stardust. Um, oh. which was already there. So that's what Tangiers is. And I was going to ask you, yeah, what that casino was based off. Mostly of. Stardust, also Riviera, which was across the street. They ran both of those. They ran the Hacienda and the Marina. And there was like the Chicago family did that. The Detroit family, you know, ran, uh, you know, like the Tropicana, but then Kansas ran the casino out of Tropicana. And it was like Detroit also had the Aladdin. And before that was Tally Ho, I think it was called. A lot of the old ones aren't here anymore. The Sands, and, Sand, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and the Frontier, and a bunch of them. But, but anyway, it's it's a huge part. Of, I mean, let me. I don't know. Let me just tell you this 
fact, <laughs> you, you saw the guy, because you probably don't know, but you, do you remember when um, De Niro's character, Sam Rothstein, they, they called him? Yeah. Um, his real name was um, uh, Lefty Rosenthal. I mean, like, they changed the names in this one. Mm -hmm. But besides that, very little has changed according to the story of how it went down. Um, but his character, you remember when he was in, in court? Uh, do you remember the lawyer that represented him? Yes, he kind of looked like uh, Daniel Stern a little bit, just a little bit. I don't know who that is. That's the guy from uh, Home Alone. He was one of the wet bandits. He's the other. Oh, ironically enough, the other guy from Joe Pesci kind of looked like him. I know who you're talking about. Though. He does. Now that you mention yeah. it, he does. Right? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He's still yeah. around. He's a lot older and a little heavier now. But anyway, that dude that played his uh, lawyer is Oscar Goodman. And oh. he was the real lawyer that represented all the mobsters. Tony Spilatro, who's, you know, uh, that. Um, Pesci's character, they Nick, call him. They call him Nicky. Um, uh, Nicky uh, Saturno, Saturno, or something like that. I think it is. <laughs> Nicky Santoro. They call Santoro, him. Santoro. That's the, it, the, yeah. the real. The real guy who was like the worst, well-known, most famous mobster, you know, um, here in Vegas. But anyway, it was Tony Spilato. And if you look up on YouTube, Tony Spilato, and you see any footage of him, Oscar Goodman's almost always there with him. And he represented a lot of other guys, even Meyer Lansky, like way back in the day. Oh. So he's always been, and he always got his guys off. He was always a great lawyer, but he was never dirty, at least never caught dirty. Yeah. Um, he, he helped build the, the uh, mob museum that's downtown here in Las Vegas. Oh. Uh, he, he was our mayor. He was voted in as our mayor. And uh, he ran the entire, um, I think it's an eight-year term. And then, and then when his term ran out, his wife became mayor. No shit. Yeah, so they've been running Las Vegas for the last, uh, um, I don't know if it's 16 years. I think it was, uh, I, I, he was mayor in 2010, I'm pretty sure, and before that. So we could look up the exact years, but maybe 2008. So yeah, probably 16 years. And I think his, I think his wife might have, either she's still mayor or she just handed over the reins. But, but that guy, um, he, he was just so good at arguing the facts and catching the cops being dirty and not following protocol. He got it. He got his guys off all the time. He had a great record. How about that? Oh man, because yeah. you know what? I was watching the credits at the end, and sure enough, it said Oscar Goodman as himself. And I was like, "Who was yeah. that?" And I was like, "I remember hearing Oscar in the movie, but I was like, I couldn't pinpoint." But it's the lawyer, yeah. so that makes that makes a lot of sense. The other guy that's really interesting, Frank Collada. He was uh, a mobster that he just died last year of COVID. He was still out here. He was giving tours of uh he's represented in casino the guy um vincent um the guy with the silver hair that's always oh, frank like vincent. frank vincent yeah his, his character is based on frank collada frank collada when he flipped for the government and gave his story that's a lot of what casino came from so he's on set he's on set counseling martin scorsese and he appears to to whack a few of the guys at the end he, he whacks the guy in the parking lot at the end that's um is the finance guy. Yes. Uh, yeah. Andy Wax, the guy that, that's, that comes out, that's got a robe on and he's shot in the stomach. He comes out his back door by oh, the pool. Yeah, he, went he comes to up to him and goes, where are you going, Jack off? Bam. Yeah, that's right, Jack off. That guy that plays that killer, he's like reenacting like a murder that he committed. 
Holy shit. Yeah, but again, again, this murder is uh, um, Amalgram, or however you pronounce that. Yeah, I know that. represents two, like one that was in like Costa Rica and, and one that was here in Vegas. But I've been on this tour a couple times, and he's like, yeah, that's the house where I whacked that guy. And pretty fascinating. Oh, you know what I found really cool? I don't know if you, you can make this uh, connection with it, too. Uh, but I, I kind of found it like kind of neat in a, in a little bit of a way because like the mob, if you're living the mob life, it's humbling. And Scorsese like is great at highlighting those moments of, like, oh, my God, there's that moment of humanity, like where you the fucking guy gets stabbed with the pen several times. Yeah. And like Pesci's like, oh, I hear a little girl crying. Is that a little girl? Right. <laughs> what happened to the tough guy? Yeah. yeah, what happened to the tough guy? Huh? It's not so tough no more. And then like you know, what you're saying, like the jag off and like him walking out with the stuff. It's like humbling experiences and stuff like that. And I was like, I've been reading Muhammad Ali's biography and certain things like that and him having like nerves before he gets into the, the fights and stuff. But then there's always that aspect of like, whether you're in sports or, or, or something like the mafia, it's like those moments of humanity that really like kind of, I don't know. And that's what I think Scorsese's great at. And I kind of made that connection with wrestling in certain ways too, because you don't know what's going to happen sometimes when you're in the ring and everything. And so you're always putting yourself at risk and doing that kind of thing. So uh, I yeah. thought that, that was kind of a neat connection. Scorsese is just so great at showing that violence and making you be like, holy fuck, what would I do in that situation? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. And this is, and it's their guy. He's bringing us into their world. This is just mm-hmm. what they do. And it's, it's so true, you know? Yeah. They're, they're like sometimes like um like I, I had a I was conflicted about taking the mob tour because I felt like I, I'm fascinated by it, but I don't look up to these guys and I'm right. like heroes, you know what I mean? And and and, and so for a while I didn't want to I didn't want to hint a profit, you know, and like be paying towards it, but but I changed my mind and said, you know, for me it, it's worth it and, and and whatever, you know. Um and I did that a couple times and then also Michael Francis was doing a, uh, a, a a stage show when I first moved here to town, you know, so I got to know him through going down there. And he's a really, really good guy, um, Michael Francis. And uh, man, he 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 tells this. <laughs> he tells a lot of stories. I mean, he uh-huh. was, you know, he was in the Colombo crime family and ripping off the gas station uh Anyway, he made a lot of money, like between three and ten million dollars a week. He was bringing in. Holy shit! Yeah, to the to the family. He said he kicked fifty percent up to uh, Persico, and then um, he was making the rest of that for for a while. But um, but anyway, um, one of the stories that really sticks out in my mind that that he that he tells, uh, he said that he was dropping off one of his buddies, another mobster, um, at his house late at night, and he said that uh, when the guy when they got there and the guy got out of the car, I can't remember his name right now, but the dudes asked, asked Michael, you know, if he would wait for a second, you know, he went in, he went in, opened up the door and uh, came back out and got in the car and said, um, you know, let's go. And he said, wait a minute. I thought I was dropping you off. And, and he said that he got the, he got the order um, to whack his own dad. What? And he killed his dad. And now he can't be in the house alone. Cause whenever, Whenever he's in the house alone, he sees his dad. Holy How fucked shit. up is that? That's super fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what's fascinating is that the guys, you know, when they're when they're in when they're actually really in the family. I mean, there's you know, there's the associates, uh, and then if, and you're always an associate if you're not Italian that you know what I mean? Yeah. Then, but then you're not a true member of La Costa Nostra. But um the 
the guys that actually take the the pledge and then they become a made member um you know they they make that their number one priority and they they give this speech where they say no matter what hey have oh it's, have, it's 440 of us at 420 sorry it's right <laughs> they uh they give you know they swear a blood oath in front of everyone that it, they'll, they'll leave their wife um in the hospital or on the deathbed or anything that's going on you know they'll they'll do whatever the family says they'll kill for the family when the time comes uh and, and usually they're they've already done that by the time they're made anyway that's one of the initiations usually but it's it's um it's a hell of a thing to to swear your life to you know but then at the same time that's what soldiers do to the army or whatever they're like yeah i'm gonna you know i might get blown up but i'm doing this for the greater good of what I believe in, it's, it's very similar. And they are set up like the military and have been since like 1931 with Maranzano. He set up, you know, having the whole uh, hierarchy of the uh, the boss and the consigliere and the underboss and the the, uh, the captains and then the soldiers. Um, a lot of times Luciano gets credit for it, so who knows. But that, but it's very military-like, and it, and it makes sense because when you're – the best soldiers are guys that – don't have an ego or their own values or beliefs or let any of that get in the way of just doing everything they can for the cause. Right. 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 Oh my God. And like, to your point, it's like, yeah, there's, they have that, you take that blood oath and you, I, it makes me think about that scene too, where Nikki takes that, that Irish gangster and fucking puts his head in a vice and he doesn't crack. The dude does not crack. Like he, they, they ice picked his balls. They said and all that shit and he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't break. And it's just like, the, that's the, that's the life they chose and they live with. It's, it's nuts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if you want to look that up, it's called the M and M murders. It's pretty easy to, to remember, but, um, Joy Miragula and, um, and Joy McCarthy, two dudes, they, they shot up. It happened in Chicago. They shot up the, uh, the wrong bar that was connected. And then Tony Spilatro told uh, Frank Collada uh, that they think he's involved too. And if he doesn't help them set them up, you know, they're going to come and whack him. And so uh, he, he let uh, the one dude borrow his car and uh, like set them up. That's the thing too. They set their friends up like so easy, so easy. It's it's crazy. Like guys that they grew up with, and then they'll just be like, "Yeah, let's go for a ride." And, they, and they, if they, if they're in the back seat, there's a good chance you might be shot in the back of your head right. if you're in that life. You know, it's it's, it's so crazy to think. Uh, it's so opposite of my life. That's one of the reasons I'm fascinated with it. You know, if I, man, if I ran over a squirrel with my car, I would pull over if i knew that happened and it would, it would ruin my whole day right the, the day would be done oh that'd be so sad and, and for these guys you know and there's some that are particularly violent mad sam de stefano you know for in chicago uh which he actually was tony spilato's mentor so <laughs> so yeah that's he got a lot of his sadistic ways uh, from him yeah that scene in the vice that vice scene happened though when his eye popped out he gave up his buddy and uh, of course, they they killed Charlie him. M. Who the fuck? Why the fuck would you rat out Charlie M. for that? Yeah. Why would you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So the new set. This is a good segue into the new segment here. Cool. It's gonna be. We got it here. I have it. I called it "Guess the Gangster" or "One of a Kind" <laughs> with RBD. And so the way it is, guys. RBD, he's, he knows his way around the mob and mafia, specifically with Italian, but you know Irish. You know some other stuff too. Um, so what we'll do is I will put the mugshot up of a particular mobster. Rob will 
guess who it is and uh likely he might know and then i will give details to you later on after so well for the for the record i think i think there was going to be one was going to be a name and then and then one was going to be a mugshot and i was like man the mugshot's going to be difficult because you think the mugshot's going to be difficult well what i'll do so i have some notes here so what i'll do is i'll put the mugshot up and if you can't kind of know who you're gonna clues i think then That's I'll give you cool. a little bit of clues going on from it. So let me... in general, like I'm so non-observant. Like when I, whenever I watch America's Most Wanted or something, uh-huh. I watch a lot of crime shows. I'm always blown away they can catch somebody from a sketch. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, that'd be awful. That <laughs> you could show me a photo of the guy, uh, and if I if I see him, if if I go into Seven Eleven. Two minutes later, and he walks by me. I'm probably not going to know that that was him. I'm not. I'm not that good at it. And I and I purposely don't meet a lot of people in their eyes. And I look down at the ground a lot. And that's, I think, just because I don't know. You know, it's a passive way to be. And also, it's because I'm recognized a lot. And it's like, you know, it's like, uh, um, you know, like if you're a strip club, you don't look the strippers in the eye, or else they're going to come over and say, "Hey, you looking for a dance?" So when they go by, you kind of look at the ground. Let her go. She, she's walking by. Did she piss? You know, like I, <laughs> I do that. I gotta do that with people in general. And a lot of times, people hit me on the shoulder and say, "Hey," and I'll look up. It'll be like one of my friends. Oh, sorry. And they go, "No, I get it." You know, but so mugshots are really hard, and, and I'm always surprised. Like, like how the fuck? Do, even if it's a mugshot and not a drawing, a lot of times, you know, and it's 30 years later, or it's a futuristic enhanced drawing. I'm like, how in the fuck? Right. I don't know what they're looking at. They ain't seeing what I'm seeing. But Rob, I could see somebody like three times, like in person, in person. And if somebody yeah. walks in later on, like say I say a couple days later, I would still have to triple take and see. It was like, is that the person I just met? Like, it, I'm like yeah. that a lot of times. So. Well, with something in, in our in our world of meet and greets, um, we we try not to say nice to meet you unless we're positive. Otherwise, it's better to say nice to see you. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, like, oh, hey, Heather, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, I met, we met three times. Like, oh, <laughs> I mean, great to see you. Hey, great to see you. <laughs> yeah, and great to see you works the first time too. So that's a safe, a safer bet. That's definitely yeah. handle it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Let's see if you can guess this person just based off the mugshot. You got two, so uh, take a look at them. Right. And, then- and I'm getting a doobie ready. Um, this is something that I think is going to be an important part of the. The show, because yep. uh, um, some of my fans smoke and some don't. Either way, uh, I'm going to spark one up. And so if you want to spark up one with me, um, it might enlighten you. We're going to talk some RVDology. And if you don't smoke, that's not a requirement. You know, yep. uh, if you're if you're a basic thinker, you won't get it. But maybe you will. Maybe I can help you out because I believe that a lot of basic thinking is, um, I don't want to say choice but like a um an unacknowledged choice in other words like you don't know you have the choice but you really can't choose so i believe that not with everybody but i believe a lot of people are helpful because a lot of people will listen to my episodes and say you know i never thought about that before you're right or they'll say you know ever since i watched that every time this happens boom that's that's what i want you know so anyway preparing a doobie um to uh enlighten you motherfuckers enlighten up. us up <laughs> enlighten us up it'll be happening at the end of the show here and uh, rob will give his perspective uh, last week was values it was really great 
So I'm, I'm ready for this fucking mug shot, dude. Let's see here. All right, you ready? Here it is. Hey, is yes, this gangster, Rob. Ooh, this is the same guy? The same guy, same guy. Now I can give you some clues here. No, I right, wait, hold on. No, he I I think that oh man, I think he's from uh is he let me guess, is he Rhode Island? He's in or, the northeast, you're close. You're Massachusetts. Close. Yes. Well right. is it is it Mancuso the uh um the 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 pizza not the pizza man um nope the cheese man no oh man this so, is a tough one it's so yeah. modern so he is a, a soldier from the Genovese crime family in New mm. Jersey. He definitely didn't start me out on uh, first grade, which is, which is cool. Um, <laughs> but man, this guy, let's see. Um, let's see and he was also, so he killed a man, okay? He killed a man, and he was this guy, this individual was part of the, also part of the Genovese crime family in New Jersey, but also part of the Patriarcha family in New England. That's, okay. And, um hold on. Okay. Um, so he is it Fred Weiss? Nope. Fuck. <laughs> uh so he killed this man on Easter in Easter morning in 1977. And this person was not found out. He was on the lamp for eleven years, and he finally got figured out too later on. He was found in Manhattan in 2007. This guy. And he was arrested. Do you want me to give you some names here? Sure. Okay, the guy he murdered was Johnny Coca-Cola. Lardier. He was a mob associate with reputed ties from both the Genovese crime family and the Patriarcha family in New England. Johnny Coke was killed Easter morning in 1977. The murder investigation went cold until 1996 when an informant named Genovese Soldier... This is the guy, Michael Mikey Cigars Coppola as the killer. Coppola, yes, he went on the lam for 11 years after learning that feds wanted a DNA sample from him, hoping to match it to a hat left at the crime scene. He was found in Manhattan, of all places, in 2007, went on the lam in Manhattan, and subsequently had a DNA sample taken. The test was inconclusive, and the judge threw out the murder charges against him. So it's it's Mikey Cigars. Mikey Cigars. Nice. That's a good one. What a couple of combination, Johnny Coca-Cola. I mean, those are some mob names right there. Um, yeah. The, now, the funny thing is I found this New York Post article about him, too, and I'll just pull this up. Hitman, wise, wise guy, died like a man. A reputed Ge- Genovese Capo on trial in 1977 for a mob hit. Once admitted, he whacked a fellow wise guy and said the victim died like a man. A turncoat testified yesterday in Brooklyn Federal Court. Mikey, Mikey Cigars... Coppola told pals he, he didn't want to kill mob associate Johnny Coca-Cola, but had his, to, to his duty to the crime family. Former Lucchese hitman Tom, Thomas Riccardia said, you got to do what you got to do, and sometimes you do it with tears in your eyes, Coppola said, now 63. He said he died like a man, allegedly saying he explained that he took two tries to kill Lardier in the parking lot of a Red Bull Inn in Somerset, New Jersey, because his gun jammed. The wounded Lardier looked at Coppola in the eyes and sneered, what are you going to do now, tough guy? And the accused killer whipped out a second gun and fired four more shots. Oh. Holy shit. Riccardi, who had admitted to participating in 11 murder conspiracies, also fingered reputed Genovese Capo, Tito Fiumera, in orchestrating the murder. So that's some wild shit. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah, the more today, um, 
and, and what, what's going on with today, the, the more you can, the more you can trip me up, the more modern it is. But, um, but I still try to keep up with, with, with today, but you know, with a lot of the other stuff, if it's been hashed out there, if it's been like out there a lot, you know, then I've probably hit it from several angles from documentaries and, and books all the way around and stuff. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the, the current guys and stuff, um, it's fascinating that they, that they, that they're still going that the families are still out there, you know, even though they're not as powerful as they were, but that Tommy Ricciardi, there was a guy out here in California. Um, uh, I, I didn't think he was Genovese, I thought he, but uh, I wonder if that's the same guy because uh, he he uh, ended up uh, there was like a Gambino faction that uh, Mike Rizzatello was starting in L.A. because the L.A. mafia was too they called it the Mickey Mouse mafia they weren't doing anything and, and and so he came down and he had connections with Carlo Gambino according to the story of Mike Rizzatello he was starting his own faction and. Uh, I know Thomas uh, Ricciardi was was in that, so it might be a different guy with the same name. But um, they they killed uh, Frank Bompensiero, who's one of the more well known West Coast mobsters as well. Um, he was he ran San Diego, but um, but you're not gonna remember any of that. But uh, the, um, you know, I I get where like um, like the further back you go in time, like you 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 would have a gun to protect yourself. You know, it's getting to be that way again now, but it's so unbelievable in the, in between, you know, because <laughs> our world, cause we're b brought up in this safe world yeah. and we think, we think, Oh my God, how could you, you know, take somebody's life. But if you go back to, I don't know, the, 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 the wild west, right. You know, early 1800s, uh, 1600s, you know, if you want to go back to um, way back, but, that was just something, you know, if you went out and you went to the local saloon, you were already taking a big risk, you know, anything could happen to you. And right. it, wasn't like, it wasn't like you could call 911, you know. So I get, you know, it seems like a lot of the mobsters um, that are really well known from the the movies and, and stories that have been passed around a lot. A lot of them have been around since forever. You know, there was like two generations like the in the turn of the century, a bunch of them came over. And some of them were like still around till recently, and some of them were born like in the '30s or whatever, and they and they were still running shit until recently. So it's like, um, so I I, I kind of get where they kept the the same principles because they kept to themselves in their own little secret society, but it, it's still like uh, amazing to me that you know like oh my god you know this dude's a murderer, and he's out here you know living his life uh, you know on the outside. But, right, you know it's cool. What I was like, I looked on this stuff like Reddit and everything like that, and there's so many like recent mobsters, and I'm like, dude, this is crazy that like this shit's like still kind of happening, and you know, to the lesser level of like not as big as it was, but it's still there. It's it's kind of mind blowing in a lot of ways, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what one thing that um that's cool out here, Lake Lake Mead is our water supply in like in Las Vegas mm -hmm. and some surrounding uh, towns. And um, it is shrinking because of the climate, you know, and, and so you can see the water dropping down on the side of the mountain, how it's dropped so many feet. Um, and, and so now there's a lot more shoreline where it used to be covered and these bodies have been showing up and it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The first one that they found was a body in a barrel that had a couple of uh, 22s uh, holes in the back of his head and they, and they labeled him as being um, from 
late 70s, early 80s, according to the shoes that he was wearing. And um, now I think they're up. I, they're, I don't know if they're if it's five or eight bodies. And some of them drowned or whatever. But this one guy ends up like the most uh, one of the guys that they really like, but they haven't confirmed that it's him. Is one of the characters from Casino, actually. Really? Yeah, because this yeah this guy ran the uh, the um, the slot machine skim at at Circus Circus, oh. and, um, and and he disappeared. Like um, in, um, uh, it was either, I think it was like 60, somewhere between 68 and 72, somewhere in there he disappeared. And that was Tony Spilatro's reign. And and uh, at the end, they, when everyone's getting busted, uh, actually before that Costa Rica killing, they, they I told you that was a um, almogram. That's one of them is, um, uh, is Vandersloot, this dude. Um, and then, <laughs> and he, he ran the things. So they thought he's going to tell if they catch him, he knows too much. So they just, so they killed him, and this guy did the same thing at the Circus Circus. But. No shit. See, that's yeah. crazy, too, because I remember in the, the movie, too, like, De Niro's bitching at the the the, the one guy about, like, hey, you got to either be in on this scam with the slots, and, like, because there was, like, three slots winners in a row, massive ones, and he's like, what the fuck is this? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. No, okay. Well, so if you were to give, uh, say, a casual listener here, a big wrestling, say this listener is a big wrestling fan, doesn't know a whole lot about a mo- the mob, world or anything like that you got to give them a documentary to watch which document what mob documentary are you going to get to start them off with i guess i'd want to know where he lives mm-hmm. if, if you know all right say northeast say say northeast kind of like new york philly area something like that man there there there's so many um um maybe you can get um, Selwyn Rob's uh, The Five Families, and you can hear that audiobook actually oh. on YouTube. And it talks about the whole um, birth of the mafia coming here and growing, and in uh, the five families uh, in New York. That's 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 one. Um, but you know, one of the first ones. I, well, no, this was a book. What's one of the first documentaries I remember? Because I remember when I was just getting into this, uh, somebody. Big dude, um, uh, this guy's an actor, and he's in Ocean's Eleven, and he's in uh, he's in Wrong Side of Town. <laughs> Big bald biker dude, Schwartz. What is his name? The one with like Brad Pitt, or the other yeah, guy? yeah, that one. He's like he beats him up. He goes in a safe, and this guy beats him up. He's my friend. Um, beats him up so because he, he wants to look like he was in a fight and robbed or whatever. So beats Brad Pitt up. Oh, okay. Damn. Anyway, I'm like, I hate it when I blink on. Uh, I got a little bit of fuzzy brain uh, this week. I've been bitching about that. I always but um, it's Schwartz. Uh, anyway, that's so funny. They both, I forget both their names because it's the exact same. And there's little and big. Uh, anyway, um, well, I don't even know what the fuck I was talking about now. He he gave me this book, and it was uh, Nicky Scarfo, who was, he ran the Philadelphia mob for a little while. I think maybe that was my first or, or, or second. Maybe I was just reading something and talking to him about it. That was one of the first ones that like really drew me in. And then I read about um, Richard Kuklinski, the uh, Iceman, which a lot of people that don't know that much about the mafia enjoy his documentaries. He's got a couple on HBO where he was interviewed from prison. No and, shit. Uh, he's a pretty scary guy. Yeah. He did a lot of uh, uh, contract murders. He also did a lot on his own too. And he's just so 
such a cold-hearted, um, evil person. Uh, the Iceman is what those. Uh, if you look that up, that's that that that's what his nickname was, and that was because um, he had a guy. Him and a partner had. They were killing people with cyanide. And his partner had an ice cream truck, and I was like a disguise. And, uh, and he killed, <laughs> killed his partner and froze him. And then when they found the body, like years later or months, I don't remember if it was years or months. It was so long later that the body should have been decom decomposition decomposed, but it wasn't because because he froze it. He's the ice man. <laughs> they called him the ice man. Yeah. Yeah, he's the ice yeah. man. <laughs> Yeah. Well, shit. well, there's there's a good uh, leaping point for people. I I will definitely like. I lived in Philly, so Nikki Scarfo. I'm gonna have that's. Well, if you like Goodfellas, if you like Goodfellas, watch um, watch the the making or, or the the one of the one of the documentaries on the real Goodfellas. You know? Yeah, like Henry Hill and stuff like that, right? Henry Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and um, and also um, if you like The Sopranos, you know, there's I a couple it. documentaries on the. The real family that that was based on, the DiCavalcante family in New Jersey. Oh. Um, one of them is called Made Men. Um, one is DiCavalcante family. They were infiltrated by police uh, or undercover, you know, um, agents. So, so they got a couple of good books out of out of those infiltrations into the families. But, but yeah, that was amazing. Like how many similarities there were. Uh, this guy Vinny Ocean, he had a strip club in in New York. Lookers? No, not Lookers. Lookers was the one in New Jersey. Um, anyway, um, it, it was just like Tony's, and they hung out at this meat shop in the front, just like in uh, just like Central yeah, or whatever it's called, Satrellis. And it's like um, the, everything. Like like you can hear them. Their car is bugged in the documentary. You can hear them in their car talking about the Sopranos, saying, "Dude, what the really?" Fuck? Is this shit supposed to be us on here? Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm definitely gonna check. I love this brand. Those would be some good starts if you already like that. Then watch yeah. the nonfiction version yeah okay now that's that's gonna be my next step because i i want to go back and watch sopranos again anyways too so yeah it's so good yeah every several years i go through but it's a commitment it is a commitment but it, oh man it pays off my buddy always watches and makes references so um okay so i figured too with us talking about the movies and gangsters and everything like that uh our wrestling topic our loose wrestling topic this week involves celebrities in wrestling and uh obviously with uh, big Bunny was has been the big highlight. They just had the Puerto Rico show backlash, everything like that. Um, have you gotten to kind of check out Bad Bunny at all from a wrestling standpoint, like any of his work and certain things like that when it comes to it? Um, and where would you kind of rank him in regards to like performance wise with celebrity work? If you have seen a, lot, a certain amount of his stuff, yeah, I don't, I really haven't, so I mm -hmm. don't think that I would qualify for speaking on his performance. I've seen some of the hype about him, yeah. I've you know, and, and I know the people are really excited. Katie's really excited. <laughs> um, I think she told me he's like the number one musical yeah, artist. So that's, so that's that. So that's that's pretty big. You know, it's a lot of exposure. Um, I when I was in the competitive state of mind, which I'm not. You know, to 99% not now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> none of us, none of us aren't partially. We'll talk about that later. But um, <laughs> I used to hate when outsiders would come in because I always felt like I was shorted anyway. You know, it was always a way for me to feel like I'm not getting, you know, what my flowers or, what, or even what I'm I deserve. Utilizing me rather than 
uh, an outsider kind of coming why in. Why are the Why are the Bud Light girls in here wrestling, and you bump me off the card? You know, the Miller Light right. girls or whatever. And I always felt like that. And also, you know, because of my old school fundamental um, perspective of wrestling, you know, I, I I think that when when you bring in actors that really you're making it seem easy. It seemed like anybody could do it. Yeah. And because of that, I think that's actually changed the business because the people that believed that, that believed, you know, oh yeah, you know, um, the agent from Entourage can do a cross body on, and knock a wrestler down. Sure. You know, um, the people that would believe that are now like running the business. So it's kind of like more become that. And so that's something that's a little struggle with me. Um, but I don't resist it. I do. My, my, my preferences resist it. But at the same time, I acknowledge that that's, that's what's happening. But I would have, you know, um, been instructed back in the day if there was, like, let's say when ICP was there, ICP yeah. in St. Cloud Posse, we beat the shit out of them, you know? And that was for the business, you know? We thought that they, um, we didn't want everyone to think that, you know, because, I mean, I didn't kick them harder than I kick other wrestlers, Sure, I, mean, yeah. I get it. And I definitely didn't mean to bust Joe Bruce's eardrum. You know, he wrote in his book about that, that I busted his eardrum and he thought that I would have taken it easy on him, but that's not how we got taught wrestling, you know, from the Sheik. And it was like, it was about protecting the business. That was the number one rule. And that's always, always going to be in the forefront of my mind. So that forms my perspective, my opinions on everything. You know, I, you know, I would have beat the shit out of Bad Bunny. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but I realize now, you know, looking at the whole thing uh, overall as a, as a big show and delivering the, the biggest show that you can to the fans, you can add a lot of bells and whistles to it, and, and it might improve it for that purpose. But being one of those competitors in there and feeling like your seat got bumped because uh, someone else is at the table that... Is it usually there? And, like... It's it's a matter of I swallow I, sometimes. Right. No, it's it's definitely that balance too, because you see somebody come in and it's just like, oh my God. Like I mean, I, I always revert back to like Drew Carey coming out in the Royal Rumble that one year and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah. Okay, it's a celebrity moment, but that, yeah. you're taking it, you're taking it away. And it's just like kind of a throwaway moment, too. People don't really think about that moment anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, like but to the other point too what you're saying like it's like oh you kind of see it from the the outside when you're not in the non-competitive standpoint like bad bunny like having take place in puerto rico his hometown he was a huge wrestling fan growing up super big apparently he trains really hard backstage but then on accordance to that too you have somebody like damian priest who's trying to get over still and still trying to make a name he's kind of building bad bunny up but building himself up too and building his identity so there's a certain kind of like you know good fine-tuned balance of it all but from the old skin mentality, it makes perfect sense. It's just like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> like, uh, I, and I'm there's, in my and there's also 50, 50 wrestlers that are waiting for mm-hmm. their time to come up that are pissed at what uh, at, at the focus and money and everything that they're spending um, on that bunny because that's not the traditional way. You know what I mean? Wrestling mm-hmm. is still a lot about tradition. There's still that hierarchy, not nearly as much as there used to be. You know what I mean? But like when we were talking about it with the mafia, there's a lot of similarities. You know, when I joined, I committed to a secret society. You know, yeah. I didn't I didn't make it above, you know, a dying family member, you know, but 
then again, I do remember missing my grandma's funeral <laughs> to go to a wrestling show, you know, and it's like, it, 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 and I wanted it more than anything. And it was my priority. And that's what got me where I got. And you couldn't get ahead without having that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so later in life, reprogramming myself as an adult, which I recommend everybody should do, take another look at life from a different perspective. And often you should always be on improved mode, you know? I like um, yeah, when looking back at it, you know, there's so many similarities, though. And um, the, the, they did we talk about this last week? Oh, we talked about not not similarities with the mafia and wrestling or a higher. Okay, like maybe that. it was in the car, but I was saying there was like 24 or 26 back in the independent territories. I think there was 26 territories, mm -hmm. and I think there was 26 or 24 mafia families across oh, the nation. Yeah. Part of the syndicate. Mm -hmm. Paid up to the umbrella and they ran all the arenas, you know, not to mention there's been some mobsters that, that did wrestle, you know, Bravo was killed by a mobster. There's like right. so much, I think there's like a whole mini series of just doing wrestling and the mob, the mob and putting together the stories. But um, most any entertainer that's been in the entertainment industry since, you know, especially the fifties or before they, they most likely had to deal with, you know, some shady characters because they ran everything. Right. They totally really? did. Yeah. <laughs> Boxing too. And like, that's what's kind of funny too. I even, my brother does the Jake the Snake podcast and they were talking about like how Jake didn't want to take a fall for like Muhammad Ali even and certain things like that. Like a legitimate fighter that could legit yeah. knock people out. And the legend right. of Muhammad Ali yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. You, there's that level of like protection kind of thing. Now, yeah, Ross, I, I can get it though. I can see where Jake could be like, he, he, he's a badass fighter. He'd kick mass on the street. What's that got to do with Jake the Snake being in the ring? Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sure. well, so it was it's no, kinda... Car oh, no, Frankie Carbo ran boxing for the mob back in the day and Pinky Balermo. They were the two mobsters. They get all the credit for all the Sonny Liston and all, all those fights back oh. in the day. They, they ran like all that shit. Um, they were the guys you had to go to to get matches and stuff. So oh, shit, that's another one I'm going to deep, deep dive into because I'm getting fascinated in boxing right now too. So Frankie Carbo, remember Frankie that he okay. he was out here in Cali too, and he he ran with the um, the Killing Squad. Um, what the fuck they call themselves? Um, um, Bugsy Siegel um, was part of them. Matter of fact, Frankie Carbo might have killed Bugsy Siegel. He's oh, one shit. of the it's an unsolved mystery, but he gets credit for killing him because he killed Harry Harry uh, Green right before that. Oh, um, is that the guy Mo Green was based off of where they shot the eye? The fuck are they called? I'm trying to think of what they were called. They were they were a bunch of fucking what were they called? Um, Abrellas fucking flipped on them, and they all I don't know. It'll come to me. Um, but there was a murder squad where they would take money and go and go all around the country or whatever. And sometimes maybe even around the world, depending on what stories you believe and just fucking kill for, for the money. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, so what I was going to ask you too, is like with celebrities in wrestling, yeah, you don't seem like the, the type of guy that would get starstruck really. Was there anybody that was like, Oh, that's pretty fucking neat. I'm either sharing backstage or like, you know, a segment with or anybody, is there somebody that's really stood out to you that you're just like, Oh wow. That's, somebody that kind of knocked me on my heels a little bit. We mentioned Mike Tyson, you know, I marked out um, it, it meeting him. That was at a cannabis convention out here because yeah. he has, he has his own line, you know, with the Redwoods and uh, uh, he was, we were both at a convention and he had a big line of people, but Dennis Rodman was with him and Dennis, Dennis is a friend. So, 
you know, I said hi to Dennis. Dennis was like, hey, you want to you want to say hi to Mike? I was like, fuck, yeah. You know, me and Katie were both there and and he was really cool. He acted like he was a he didn't say I'm a big fan of yours, but he acted like it when he was like, Dennis, hey, this is a Rob Van Name. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and he was just like his energy was really awesome. And that's that's a guy that, you know, um, I really want to keep as a. I don't know when to say a hero, but from a certain, you know, from a certain perspective, it's like work and what he's done, like kind of thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what a, like what a standout guy. What he, I mean, the guy bit the ear off of another boxer (laughs) and they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of him. They couldn't expel him because the city made so much money off of him. They couldn't afford to lose him. All they could do was slap him on his wrist and suspend him like till his next fight anyway or something like that that's like some that's a fucking serious draw mm-hmm. i mean that's power you know what i mean that's real draw fans yeah fans don't get that when they put two people who would win this guy against that guy but when you think about it that motherfucker is a an a, um an icon of worldwide society you know what i mean like he draws money for cities on his own when he comes in to to such a huge degree that um, that it's all you know it's 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 it almost like he should be on a, a a different level it seems like of uh of human you know yeah. like okay you, you you made it dude don't don't let don't let anybody piss you off man don't don't argue with people dude you you know what I mean like yeah. don't give them no time of day come on Mike you might Tyson <laughs> right and no it's like hey he's a big factor for like the attitude era really kicking off too with Stone Cold and Vince and all that stuff it's just like. <laughs> And he was a big wrestling fan growing up. Loved Bruno San Martino, all that stuff. So, yeah, has all those ties. So, no, that's pretty sweet. All right, Rob. I think you know what? It's time for uh, the segment that everybody likes. It's RVDology, you know? Yay. Yeah, all right. Here's the little graphic we'll throw up. But then, sparking up my my doobie here. Cool. So, um, this is what I want to talk about today. a lot of people that are watching this might be surprised if I say that I think you have a big ego. A lot of you might say, you don't know me. But when you really break it down and think about it, the ego is the uh, self-reflection of one's own value. And that's based on our pride, right? Is pride a good thing or a bad thing? Because like you're grown up, you're brought up to have pride, right? Like when you're in school, um, you know, be, be proud of who you are, be proud of your family, be proud of your heritage. It never stops though. You know what I mean? You're proud of your hometown. Anytime a celebrity is on TV in any field and they mention your hometown, you're going to go, woo. Why? Because you have this instilled in you that you're proud. Why are you proud of, of that town in particular? Do you, is it really even one of the, the top 50 towns that that you've even been in or wanted to visit. But, but it, the thing is like, it, it, it never, it never stops. So on an automatic level, I always talk about basic thinkers, basic thinkers, which I think is the majority of people can only think from the first person. So only what happens to them and what they're doing, how everything affects them. And uh, they, they don't think past that. If you go in deep enough, your pride comes out 
any time that your own value is being questioned, any time that you're in danger, the first thing to protect you is your pride. You know, um, as an example, sometimes we stick up for ourselves and want to be right so bad we don't even think about whether the, whether we're wrong or not. You know, like, uh, like uh, you know, dude, you know, dude, you're in my way. You know, fuck you, man. I was standing here first. Like, you don't even start to think about it. Your first thing is, hey, somebody's fucking with me and my potential value, uh, definitely my pride, because I'm going to think less of me maybe if this person is right about what he's saying. And it could be like, hey, you know what? You're ugly. Fuck you. I'm not ugly. You're ugly. You're fat. No, fuck you. You're fat. It's something natural. And a lot of people don't think about it, but it's something that I break down in RVDology because I think that it, it, it could help to keep that in check and, and to, to keep aware of that because you'll notice certain people come across as ignorant because of that, because they just, you know, first thing is like, fuck you. Um, Sabu one time was in my house in California. And he used to sleepwalk all the time. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the night, it was like two in the morning or something. I came out because he uh, just check on him, I guess. He'd been sleeping on the couch and he was walking. And uh, I saw him get up and I saw him walking and I was pissing myself laughing. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen because his eyes are closed and he just keeps like going and he's moving forward. And I couldn't, I was seriously like having a hard time breathing. I thought it was the funniest thing. I'm like, where the fuck does he think he's going? He doesn't even know my house. I mean, it's not something that he's super familiar with. He don't live here. Right. And eventually he's going to corner himself and it's going to be in the kitchen and he's going towards there. And I'm laughing. He corners himself and he hits the counter intersection there where the coffee pot is. And, and his eyes open up and I'm like, Sabu, the fuck are you doing? The first thing he says, I was going to get some coffee. It's instinctive. Yeah. It's instinctive. You want to protect yourself. But what if you had the brain power to override that and actually use common sense instead of thinking, I always got to protect this, this image of myself image of myself, you know, like what if, what if, if somebody was able to say, um, Dude, you're probably like the slowest one here. Instead of saying, dude, I'm not the slowest one here. What if you actually listened and was like, and you actually thought about it? Am I the slowest one here? Maybe I am. Or maybe, maybe that person might be slower than me. I might be the third slowest person here. I don't know. But why is that not even considered? Because first, emotion kicks in. Boom. You cover up. You're like, fuck you. You're the slowest person in here. And... I always say emotions get in the way of logic, just like sugar gets in the way of fat burning. You know, your body will go to sugar first if it's there and it'll take over and then it gets used to burning sugar um, instead of burning fat. So if you have sugar in your blood, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting rid of the fat. Same thing with emotions. When you're emotional, it's so hard to think logically because common sense isn't so common because of your pride. It gets in the way. It fucks everything up. You're hurt. You want to hurt back instantly. Boom. Is that a smart way to get ahead? I don't think so. With wrestlers, I don't know if you notice or not. 
every wrestler promo is about an ego. I'm the toughest guy in the world. I'm the champion. Nobody's going to beat me. You know why? Because I'm here to stay. Because I've got the best skills in this area. And I could do a lot of this. And you don't know it, but I even can do this. That's why, for a while, you're going to have to get used to seeing me. Every, every promo is like... I believe in myself so much that I want to try to get you to believe in me as well. But first you got to believe that I believe in me and I got to be convincing. Um, a lot of, I'll use the stripper analogy again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I learned years ago, strippers uh, can be a lot of fun. They got to learn to leave the gimmick uh, at the club and not take it home. Same thing with wrestlers. You know, if you can go out there and you can be the baddest motherfucker. That's cool. But if you're at home and you still carry that same ego, that same perspective, like, who are you to say that you're really the best? Isn't the best an opinion? You know, but people don't think about this. They don't back back up a little bit and, and grab hold of it and own it. They don't. I heard Undertaker talking about how he had the best match on the card this one time. And it was so important to him to really have the best match. And he did. Well, at least one of the two best matches. What if someone disagrees with you? What is it in your head that tells you that according to your values, you had the best match or at least one of the two best matches? What if, the, what if some of the fans say, no, I really like the two cold Scorpio match better. How can you say that about yourself? Me being the passive RVDologist that I am, being Zenful, having my perspective, I have to question uh, all opinions mm -hmm. because that's all that they are. They're, they're not facts, you know? Think about this. You're, you're behind the wheel of your car and you're in traffic and somebody honks at you, beep, that pisses people off so bad. A lot of people automatically, fuck you. You want to flip them off or you want to honk back, you know? Yeah. When you're honking because the, the light turned green, they don't think you moved quick enough. Man, that is so easy to get so pissed. And, and, and but, you know, what if they're just honking because they want you to go? How about you just go? But no, first you got to get defensive. You know, who the fuck are they to honk at me? I'm in charge of when this car goes, how fast it goes. You know, that that's an example of, uh, of in a switch inside that if we override and it changes our perspective and we can look at everything different, it helps us uh, see everything as energy. And, and once you can do that, you can be able to draw yourself towards more positive energy and also avoid more negative energy. Just don't associate with it. You know, if it's around and it's clinging on, uh, don't let it. If it's, if it's with you deal with it, you know, uh, try to not be as negative. Uh, something else. I've said this a long time ago. If, if someone does an interview, they could say, uh, that they don't like me. That doesn't have to change my opinion to them. Barbie. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> Maybe. Um, if I say I like somebody, say I like Kevin Nash, I think he's a cool dude. And then, and then this was years ago, 2010 or something. And then he tweeted out something uh, bashing me and Jeff Hardy, like, "Well, if they're such rock stars, then why, why, why are they drawing a thousand people a night when NWO sold out the big arenas across the country and something like that?" And it was, it, it was kind of funny. But then I was like, 
that doesn't change my opinion. You know, like automatically, if someone says they don't like you, well, then fuck him. He's talking shit about me. Why does it have to be talking shit if they're just giving their opinion? And it could be, it could it could be that they don't like you, or it could be even less personal. It could just be, you know, there was there was something of uh, Disco Inferno and uh, Conan on their show. There was a headline that was going around. And I didn't listen to the show, but the headline said uh, one of them had said RVD wouldn't wouldn't be able to to hang or to wouldn't wouldn't fit with AEW something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Katie, you know, thinking basically is like, I thought those were your bros, man. They're talking shit about you. Fuck them, right? And then I was like, why? I mean, they they can think that I wouldn't fit in AEW, and how's that going to change my opinion to them just because they think that? Whether they're right or wrong, you know, without even thinking about what the reasons could be, you know, like it could be they could maybe they're saying I couldn't hang because I'm out of shape. I couldn't physically probably not saying that. Maybe they're saying I wouldn't deal with the politics. And sh- maybe they're saying that maybe they're saying I'd be too stiff and, and it would like cause a lot of who knows. But without knowing any of it, if they want to say, here's what I think about how how RVD would be in position of general manager on raw and they give their opinion. How's that? Why's that going to change my opinion of them? My opinion of them is based on, you know, all of my interactions with them. So, so people automatically want to draw back and get defensive. And I think it's primal. It's such a basic concept in practice. It's something that really, I think just like with most things, just your awareness will allow you to override it, work on your awareness try to be uh, more aware and pick it out and then boom, you know, before you know it, you'll feel above it. So um, that's, that's the thing. A lot of you, I think your ego is just too big for you to be a master at RVDology. It might work perfect for you, but to be the Zen master, you got to be aware when your ego or your pride is making the decisions for you. You just have to. It's Rob, I, dude, it's so neat that you actually mentioned that because it's like uh, t- this week, this week I, I have I started like a sub stack, which is like, you know, uh, people read the, you post your articles and stuff on there. And so I have a whole bunch of email subscriptions that are on there. A lot of colleagues and stuff like that. And I got an email like this week. And the guy, this person was just like, this is the second time I've emailed you. Please remove my email from your list. Or I will like get a hold of the federal government and like good press charges. Like my emails is this, this, this. I immediately fucking put my fist up and I was like, "Fuck you, you asshole!" Like I thought that immediately, yeah. and then I was just like, you know. And to your point from last week, it's a values. His values might be different than mine. I am like kind of like, all right, well, did, I, that, did that really go through your mind? It did. Yeah. Well, awesome. after the fact, after the right. fact. So. Right. But uh, um. When I so I was just like thinking, oh man, and then to this point, my pride got the better of me and thinking like, you know, oh this asshole doesn't want to read my stuff or he's taking offense and thinking that I'm doing this to just be like a pain in the ass or whatever, you he know. Doesn't have the same values as you, so it's offensive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And my my fist immediately gone up. So it's yep. just like right off yep. the like it's just like boom, you know. Yeah. You gotta yeah. think a little. Yeah, if you take that step away, be like, all right, this is not necessarily what. My my ego is in the way here, and it's just yeah. Yep. Um, that that action, or rather reaction, can be summed up in a phrase that I 
totally don't live by. A lot of people watching might live by this. For me, it's 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 very non-conducive with my ways. But you've probably heard this expression, an eye for an eye. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. No. Those 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 people are vindictive. Those people are Karens, you know, people that, that are that are like that. They're, those are the people that are like, well, she's keeping me up all night, you know, with her loud parties. I'm going to go out and scratch, scratch the side of her car door. You know? <laughs> right. like that's that's what that translates to me. You know, uh, rise above to quote the philosopher John Cena. <laughs> I, 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 I'm more to, to recommend you apply that. You know, why lower yourself to somebody else um, and, and, you know, let karma do it. You know, it's not easy, but that's 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 who fights the battles is, is karma. Nobody gets away from karma. So that's, you know, a whole nother subject. But, um, you know, sometimes you feel like you owe somebody because, you know, they got you really good. And, and maybe you do. Uh, and if life presents organically the opportunity, then it will. But then that's part of karma. Whether you know about it or not, you both will be paid back with karma. And that's why it's good motivation to live a good life. Exactly. And like life will pan out and people will learn their lessons or they won't. It's just how that goes, you know? Yeah. Um, so, all right. So someone could tell me, you know, like, you know, that shirt's stupid. And I'm not going to be like, it is not, man. Fuck you. Your shirt's stupid. Like, that's so... It's such a, uh, I, I use the word primal, but it really is. It's like it something is. that's, it, and, and you know, what about like, oh, you don't like this shirt? Well, fuck it. I don't care. I'll throw it away. You know, I don't, if it's Katie, I throw shirts all the way. If I'm like, oh, you don't like it, then I don't like it. I don't give a shit. You know, yeah, but right? people get defensive over the stupidest things. And it's because they have, they, they, they don't reprogram themselves from their instinctive nature. And, and, you know, so, Maybe uh, some of these, some of this articulation, hopefully, will help with that. I'm learning, Rob. I'm learning. I'm cool. Yeah. Nobody else. I, I I'm setting you straight. You're setting me straight. <laughs> I, I, I've got my focus on, and I'm I'm looking forward, man. All right. So, what can people learn about you? What? Uh, how do they get? Uh, if they want to get a hold of RVD, we're going to do an Ask RVD. So hashtag Ask RVD. Hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. Ask us some questions. I'll read them to Rob. He'll answer them. Um, Rob, what? How else can they get a hold? You got a cameo going. You got some shop going. What's happening? Oh my god, dude! I so I just got this message uh, two days ago from Cameo. Uh-huh. It said I was in the top ten. And I don't know what it meant, you know, but it felt good. And I had my number really built up. See, you get all these requests, and you get so much time on each one. And because of the way that my mind processes, I'm a last minute person on everything to the utmost extreme. Like I'm sure I'd be very hard to be with for a lot of people because of that. I can't leave for the airport until there's almost no chance I'm going to make it. And it's like, (laughs) that never changes. I I don't do it on purpose, but for some reason that's, that's my, that's how I deal with, with time. (laughs) So anyway, you get like seven days, man. I'm always, I'm always getting it when it's like, okay, you got 20 minutes left. Your camera is going to expire. And then I'm always like, okay, now I feel the pressure. Cause before it's like, Oh, I got two hours. Uh, okay. Yeah. I remember to do it after this. And then it gives me another mess. Yeah. 
man, I, I think I had, I think I was in the 70s, 74 or something in a row, you know, which was great. And I said, you're in the top 10. And then I, and then I nailed another one. And then I said, I was, I was like number four. And I'm like, I don't know if that means, you know, like that I got that many in a row without missing one or, or what, but either way, man, that's, that, that's, that's great to know, you know, I'm fucking kicking ass. And then I, I went to bed the other night and didn't know that I was going to bed. I thought that I was just laying down for a minute. Yeah. Oh, uh, that happens a lot. And because I, I work all different hours, stupid, crazy. And anyway, I woke up to, oh no, I'm back at zero again. <laughs> back at zero. It took me like probably at least a year, at least a year. Damn it. A year and a half, maybe. To, but anyway, I'm at the real RVD everywhere. So uh, that's um, nrobinm.com, which I, you know, got to pay more attention to, but that's one of the places that I try and put all the posters up in case you miss them on social media for stuff I got coming up and uh, got fan conventions and matches coming up. Um, but I'll keep you posted as we get closer to it. Cool, man. Um, as far as this, if you guys are watching this, this is the premier network and this is where you can only get the full episodes of one of a kind of video version. So, and that this will drop every Friday at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, while our podcast, the audio version of it, will drop every Monday, Mr. Monday Night, at 4.20 p.m. So tune in to, for that every Monday. Uh, if you're interested in Premier Streaming Network, just go to premierstreamingnetwork.com. You can get all the info there. There's Ted DiBiase's podcast. They have a whole lot of different sports and entertainment stuff that you can check out, and it's a growing network. We're proud to be a part of it and uh, looking forward to growing with them. So, um, and as far as uh, anything else, follow the podcast. Oh, oh go ahead, Rob. What do you got? Well, I was just going to say, you know, like um, on days when I'm not traveling or have bookings that are appearances, I, I just always stay busy. Like people, um, sometimes people want to know like what I do. And I'm always like, I'm always trying to move a, a million things ahead, you know, but because of that, you know, I don't get too stressed out about any one thing, but the next thing that I'm actually doing um, is Monday. Well, now who knows when this airs, but anyway, right. today's, well, I guess it'll be after this airs anyway, but Monday uh, we are doing, we're filming a uh, dark side of the ring uh, episode. Mm -hmm. So cool. Cool that that's coming back. I'm a fan of it, even though I know a lot of the boys are not. Now, are you able to tell us what the episode's surrounded about, or do you got to keep that under wraps? It, well, I should probably just say I, I'm not saying that it's not about Sandman. There we go. There we go. I like that. All right. Leaves it up to the imagination. They'll probably ask me a few other questions, on, and that's how a lot of them go. You know, when I did Eddie Guerrero's autopsy show. And they asked me a few questions and they ended up airing on like, um, I was on Piper's, I believe. And on, um, I think someone else's too. And it was, uh, it was strange that I was like the only wrestler on there. Cause like, wow. you know, I didn't have that great a relationship. Uh, with, I was the only wrestler I think on Eddie's and, um, and, and I think on Piper's, but for whatever reason though, they'll probably do that. They did that. Um, they did that before, and that's usually part of production. Ask a few questions about other things, too, just so they have them. Just so they have something. That, that way we get more RVD spread out throughout the weeks. You know, ratings stay up. It all works out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Dominic D'Angelo. Hit my Substack app if you want. Um, wrestlingwriting.substack.com. I just do opinion pieces on there and stuff and post some of my old interviews that I've done. 
Uh, otherwise, I um, want to dedicate this episode here to uh, Josh Odom. He worked for Premier. He worked for ad-free shows. One of my colleagues, he passed away unexpectedly this week. Uh, only 30, oh, early 30s. Early 30s. He had a very driven, very amazing worker. Great sense of humor. Just unexpectedly happened. So uh, definitely yeah, want to dedicate yeah. Condolences. Yes. Condolences. Yeah. No. I feel like somebody just. I feel like somebody mentioned him recently. I'm trying to think of who it was. Um, I was talking about the the, the podcast, and I had said, you know, it's going to be on premiere, and they mentioned Josh, somebody, and you know that they knew him and was a good guy or something. Yeah. Yeah. He he was great and like big fan of wrestling, super passionate. He got to he got to do a lot of cool stuff, and it's just a shame that we lost him so early. Yeah. It's at such a young age too. He, if you guys look on social media, my social media, uh, there's a GoFundMe going on for him for his family and everything. So if you can, if you're able to contribute, that'd be great. If not, send some love for him. So, but cool, Rob. This has been another fun one in the books. Um, we'll cover a lot of more other stuff coming up here in the weeks to come. But uh, but thank you for taking the time to do it. And uh, hey, you want to close it out with the uh, uh, goodbye or anything <laughs> hey keep your just keep your pride in check uh i'm not saying uh don't be proud you know but you gotta draw a line somewhere otherwise you're uh you know a narcissist and you're trained that way you're trained to believe like uh, man i can do this if anybody can man i'm gonna beat everyone you're trained that way you know but f- for me my passive views are it's one thing to know things inside and it's another thing to have to prove it, you know? So experience is the best teacher. You, we learn from our experience or we learn from other people's experience. I had enough experience testing myself in enough ways to get a pretty good um, idea uh, of comfortability in situations where I can be a little more passive and, 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 and feel um, that it feel good about it afterwards. You know, the, the pride will check me, oh, yeah. you know, dude, you just backed down from that. What the fuck? He's going to think you're sometimes it's like, dude, would it have been better if we would have fought? No, you know, so um, just, yeah, fucking uh, reprogram yourself, but do it by watching us here every week. Absolutely. Hey, guys, that's exactly, too, what will make you one of a kind. Right here with RVD. Thanks, Rob. See you next week. I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time. I got myself about the basement. I faked it long enough to say I'm
show.